everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast from the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and so glad that you are joining us. And you're catching us in the very middle of a series. We're just kind of working our way through the Christmas story. It's Christmas time, at least as we're recording this and, uh, and putting them out there for the first time. And just kind of walking our way through these stories that very often we are very, very familiar with. On the other hand, our familiarity with the details of the story can often lead us away from really kind of catching the nuance of what the story is trying to communicate. Understanding a story is a lot more than understanding the facts and the details of it, but really like what its placement, its placement in the book as a whole and the details that are provided, the details that aren't comparing it to other stories that are nearby, especially at the beginning, setting up themes that are going to kind of help us understand the big picture of what the author is trying to communicate to us. Very often, again, the more we hear and understand the details of a story, the more likely we are to just kind of miss the nuance. And so we're working our way through these very familiar stories. And if you didn't join us last time, I encourage you to go back and just kind of look at, listen to us talk about the stories of the angels visiting Zachariah and Mary. And we talked a little bit about Joseph, but mostly kind of the contrast between Zachariah's response to the angel and Mary's response to the angel. And yeah, they, they came from different places, had different levels of esteem in the eyes of the people, but Mary was the one who had the more faithful response. And now we're going to work our way. We're going to be in Luke chapter two. When I, when I say, hey, we're going to talk about the Christmas story, you know, this, is, this, is, this is the Christmas story what most people think of, which is you know the journey to Bethlehem and the stable and the shepherds and all those things. And that story can be found in Luke chapter two. So what we're going to do is just kind of kind of walk our way through it and just kind of stop at the points in which there are things I think that we're supposed to notice that maybe we haven't noticed or haven't really thought that deeply about when, when, when they come about. So uh, Luke chapter two, uh, verse one, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And so we get a couple things here. One, this kind of gets people, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's just kind of weird. And I just remember a very professor I had in college who was very hostile to Christianity talking about this and how ridiculous it was. And I forget exactly where he said it's from, but it's like, I'm from Stuttgart, Arkansas. We do a census here in Arkansas every 10 years. I have to go to Stuttgart. I just do the census right here where I'm at. Which, I mean, I can't imagine like being an intellectual college professor and your, your argument against the story is in 20th century America, we do censuses different than in the ancient Roman world in the first century AD. I mean, maybe this is a dumb way of doing a census. And I guess from your, in your worldview, maybe it's not even true, but you got to do a little bit better than that. And I think really, honestly, what this points to is kind of what's going on here is that Joseph may very well, it seemed like maybe he was just kind of a, a migrant worker and he really didn't belong there. And it just kind of drifted towards Nazareth for some, for some, and then like, and it's so like, he didn't really even belong there. He's like, he's a, an insignificant person in an insignificant town where he's not even really supposed to be. And in order for him to kind of 
be counted, he had to he had to go back to Bethlehem, which is not exactly, I mean, it is where David is from, but it's not exactly like, it's not some great metropolitan area. And so we've got kind of the, and just really a lot of glimpses of the insignificance of Joseph and Mary, culturally, socially. We've got we've we've got some people who are just a, you know a bit on in the lower class as far as what what their society was. So he is now headed back to um, the town of David. Verse five. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Again, I mean, just think about this. This is this is this is think about kind of where we are in the story. Mary has been found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And who believes that? She does, obviously. From from what we saw in Matthew chapter one, it seems like Joseph does too. If we look from Luke chapter one, it seems like her cousin Elizabeth, who's the mom of John the Baptist, she believes. There's a very limited number of people, I would imagine, that legitimately believe that this young girl who is not married got pregnant because God got her pregnant, but because, as opposed to the, the, the way pregnancy happens in every other circumstance. And so she's probably been dealing with a lot of rumors, a lot of troubles. Carrying Jesus has not been some great and glorious blessing. I don't care how many um, Renaissance-era paintings you see of Mary and she's all glowing and everybody's adoring her and just she's got the little angel halo going around her. I cannot imagine that there were many days of her life that felt like angel halo, but just more like this, this has been a burden. And in the middle of that burden, they are now having to go on a journey. And this is not, you know, you're not flying there. You're not, you're not riding a car there. I mean, this is a this is a difficult journey, especially for someone who does not have very much money. You have this image, right? You know, it's in your your your, your Christmas stories, your, your nativity sets, or whatever. You got you got you got pregnant Mary riding on a riding on a riding on donkey. You know, probably had, maybe had to do some of it on foot, pregnant, kind of walking her way across the country. I mean, it is a. I, I just I would imagine you just have to imagine that it feels to her like one more thing. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, I don't have any real sense of how long this was. I mean, again, you got to, you watch movie or TV adaptations of this and you're going to see it's kind of like, like she's just kind of, she just rolls up there and within like, you know, she gets there at night and that night is when she has the baby. I mean, Again, you gotta, you know, when you're when you're adapting a screenplay or whatever, adapting a story for for movie or television, you gotta condense the story. I don't know, I don't know how long she was there. I don't know if it was a week. I don't know if it was weeks. We don't really know. I mean, the longer it is, actually, the worse this story becomes because of this detail that's about to come up. But again, you just think about a, a young woman about to become a mom, and again, you imagine where you're going to give birth. You don't imagine it being while you're out of town. You imagine it. You imagine it. You're you're at home, and they didn't have hospitals. Right? So I'm I'm going to be at home. I'm going to take my baby into my home where we've got everything set up. Where we just she had all sorts of nesting desires for this precious baby. And again, I would imagine really high expectations because since this is God's baby, uh, this is what God is doing. That you would just imagine. 
this is going to go smoothly and nothing's going smoothly. I'm the, I'm the source of rumors. I'm now having to make this journey. And now I don't even get to have my baby at home. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I mean, just stop and think about that. We know again, again, you think of it like she wasn't there for very long. I don't know if she was there for a day, a week, but here's what you need to understand. However long they were there, apparently they were having to live and sleep in the, in the stable, in the barn, in the barn. So when the baby was born, it was born in, in the barn and, and she, she wrapped him in some blankets that they found and put him in the manger. And manger has, man, you just, you know, 2,000 years later, manger has such a, has such kind of a, you know, again, it's on your nativity scene. It's, 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 it seems idyllic, right? It seems cute. It seems quaint. I mean, he was born, Jesus was born in a barn and placed in a cow trough is not near as glamorous as she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. I mean, it's just, it's, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's humiliating. It's the opposite of anything that you would want. Now, again, depending on where you grew up, you know, there was I'm mean, a song we used to sing about there being no room in the end. No, I'm not going to sing. I gotta stop. Forget it. No, you do not get that pleasure today. About about there being no room in the end. There's no room in the end. As if as if kind of what the story was is that there would be these. You know, there was a Holiday Inn Bethlehem or something like that. That's really not the implication here. It's really not in so much as room. It's really not so much a hotel as there was just no place for them to stay. Now, let's again, let's stop and think about this. This is Joseph going back to his hometown where his family is from. Again, maybe the, maybe the whole place is a little overwhelmed because of the census and everybody having to be there. And there aren't enough guest rooms or aren't enough beds for everybody. But who, who gets first bed? Like if you've got a whole bunch of people over to your house or you go over to a family member's house and you're all having to spend the night and there are more people than beds, how do you divvy up who gets the bed, right? Who needs it the most? Typically, you know, grandparents will definitely get the bed. The least likely ones to get the beds will be the littlest kids. They put them on the couch, blow up mattress on the floor. Or I'll just put them on, a, on the floor. What does it matter? They're just little kids, right? And, you know, and there's, you know, People who have physical conditions, right? I mean, the people who people who need the bed. Well, who who needs the bed? The pregnant woman, and apparently the pregnant woman who is quite pregnant. Again, and we don't we don't know how long they were there, but even if they say they've been there a couple of months, seven months pregnant, that's pretty big pregnant. And the closer she gets, surely somebody is going to give her a bed. This is their family. And so her fam, their family is unwilling to give the pregnant woman one of the beds. And so when I say that she was probably subject to rumors, she was probably being treated a little bit like an outcast during this time. The fact that no one was willing to give them a guest room, many of which were part of their family, I think that speaks to kind of what the nine months of her pregnancy were for her. This was, she was not worthy of a bed because of what she had done. 
because of who she was, because of the scandal of their situation. I am not going to give my bed, one of our beds, to someone like that. And, and so she finds herself all the way up until the day of her delivering birth, having to sleep in a stable and put her child in a manger, basically, again, a cow trough where, where the cow eats. And so, again, as we're kind of setting up the story, we started in Luke chapter one with the compare and contrast between the hyper-religious, super-religious, doing everything right guy and humble Mary, which is a contrast that you don't expect. And if I were to tell you right now that we are about to talk about the birth of the Son of God entering into the world, and again, put your familiarity with the story, put it aside, what would you, what would you expect? You would expect palaces and, and trumpets and epic things, and again, and, 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 and just things glowing and just you know angels singing and everything is perfect and everything is great. And not one thing has been good or great throughout this entire time, all the way up until the birth. The birth of the Son of God happens, and the only people who seem to be around are Mary, Joseph, and a few animals. And they were outcasts in their city. They were outcasts in their own family, and they're isolated and all alone. And this is the moment in which Jesus, the Son of God, enters the world. Verse 8 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So we got shepherds. I mean, these were not, these, again, these are not upper, upper class tradesmen. These are not wealthy. These are not influential people. These are shepherds who are watching flocks in the, at the overnight shift. And so either they were, you know, Maybe these were their sheep. They owned them. But if they are having to watch their own flocks out in the pasture in the middle of the night, they are not wealthy shepherds. Wealthy people who owned a significant amount of flocks would hire someone to do the overnight shift. So either they are incredibly impoverished shepherds or they are the night shift who have been hired. And so these are people, again, of little renown in their culture. Not very significant. And this is who God chooses to come to first. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And so the only people, again, who know that this is going on right now are Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph are the only ones. And so God is now, hey, I got to announce to people that the son of God who has been born and he chooses the night shift shepherds, the, the humblest and lowliest of people in that town. And so he comes to them and the angel, they're scared. Who wouldn't be? Angel appears in the sky. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Again, we already know, we already know, hey, Jesus has been born in a barn. He's in Kaltroff. We already know this. But imagine hearing it from an angel. The son of God has been born this day in Israel and you shall go to Bethlehem and you will find him 
in the barn, in the cow trough, wrapped up in just claws that were lying around. And that's not a very epic announcement. And, and again, it, it is, we're already in this very first announcement. We're kind of getting this disjointed kind of shocking idea of what we think the son of God, the Messiah, the King has been born of what that's going to be. And it jolts in the mind of the shepherds as well. But at the same time, they hear this like, hey, go and see this. And my guess is like, I'm, we're supposed to go into town. We're the overnight shepherds. We're supposed to go in town and see that the king has been born. And God is like, hey, don't worry. The king has been born, but he's in the stable and you'll be fine. And so we see here that Jesus is born in such a way so that the people who would normally not have access or at least believe that they don't have direct access to God, they do now have it. Normally, God is doing something in the temple or he's doing something in the, in the capital. He's doing something here. And, 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 and the best people are the ones that get to experience it. And the shepherds, the overnight shepherds, they don't have access to it. And God is creating circumstances so the most humble of people are able to gain access to the greatest things that Jesus is doing. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Again, just a very humble reaction of faith. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Again, cow trough. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So these shepherds, they run down there and like, hey, uh, we just saw these angels came and they just told us that, 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 that the king had been born and, and now we're here and it's you. And like, this is what he said. He's like, just found it like right here in the manger, just like what was said. And here it is. And it's so awesome. And, and they're worshiping and they're running around the town and being like, he won't believe this. You won't believe what these angels came and they told us this. And then we saw and there was, and people are like, what? I guess the craziest thing in the world. One, your shepherds, why are you here? Two, why are you talking to us? And three, kings and messiahs aren't born in barns. And they're just confused, but they, they're so excited. And you see this kind of genuine, humble response and act of faith and trust and worship and an awesome thing that God has done. And we see just a very, raw, just emotive, joyful response from the shepherds of being that they were considered by God worthy to know this, to be the first to know it, to be able to talk about it. And, and, and it is, it's just, it's incredibly joyful. And then Mary, she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. It's been quite a nine months for her. We've been talking about this the whole time, right? It's been, it's been challenging. It's been hurtful and full of gossip, obstacles, challenges, humiliation, the unsanitary just conditions of the birth. And you think, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why is this happening? This was supposed to be great. It was the angel. And then, and then my, my cousin Elizabeth, she thought it was cool. It was all supposed to be cool. It was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be awesome. But it just hasn't been. 
And then she sees that God came to the shepherds and wanted the shepherds to experience this. And she stops and she ponders all of this. And on the back end of the trial, and she sees all of the things that God did that got them there and how God used all of these difficult circumstances to make a difference in the lives of the shepherds. She stops and she thinks about it. And I think that's, that's incredible of importance to us. Again, we just see, just like we did last week, this incredible theme of God choosing the unexpected person, God choosing the person to, to, to glorify that is not glorified, is not, not thought well of in their society. We see God choosing unexpected people, pouring out his heart and giving special place to unexpected people. We see that, it's again, a theme through the whole thing. We see this theme of the humility of Jesus, that Jesus being an unexpected type of king, an unexpected type of Messiah that we will just see over and over again through the gospel. And as all of these unexpected things are happening, as God is walking Mary through a trial that she can't understand, we see it wrap up with her. She's pondering it. She's allowing what happens. She's processing as God what, what have you been doing? And I don't know how long it took her to put it all together. I don't have any idea. But it, it, there's, there's a beautiful moment that it doesn't say, and Mary treasured up all these things and then she finally understood. She saw the beauty in what God had done and she began to really think about kind of what this was. And I think it is a great word for us in the midst of our trial again, especially if we identify if we identify in any way because of some sense of unworthiness that we think that we have about ourselves. I feel unworthy. I feel unseen. God sees you. I thought God wanted great things for me, but here I am in this trial that on the back end of that, and your journey may be a lot longer than nine months, on the back end of that, you're going to see the hand of God and the hand of God was always there. And very often it's to do a great work in you but very often also it's to do a great work in someone else because of the trial that you've gone through that on the other end, you will be able to treasure the things that God had done, has done and ponder them and think about what he's done. And so there's just a, a perfect picture here, I think, of the beauty of, an, of, of, in, of enduring a trial and allowing God to show himself in a situation that at the time is just overwhelming. And so I, I, love, I love following Mary, the thread of Mary through this story. I love following the thread of the shepherds through this story. And I think if we will slow down and ponder some of these things in our heart, we will see and experience a lot more of the richness of what God is trying to communicate to us through the story. And so I appreciate you again for joining us. We've got one more. We're going to kind of be in Matthew again. We're going to look at the story of the wise men, kind of bring a close to this kind of short Christmas series that we're doing. Encourage you to come back and join us for that. And again, thanks for being a part of this. And if you are in Northwest Arkansas and have happened upon our podcast, we'd love to see you sometime at The Grove on, on a Sunday morning. You can find out about us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Get the details of our of who we are, where, where, where we meet, when we meet. There's a form you can fill out. Let us know that you're coming. We'd love, we'd love to know that. And if you're out of town and you're you're not a local, you can still join us for streaming. Go to the same website. Either way, we'd love for you to fill that out. Let us know that you're listening. Anything we can pray for you for, we'd love to know it. 
Again, I am Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at The Grove Church, and thank you so much for joining us. 